Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week we bring you a double feature. Skipping the first one and going straight to Zombie 2 and Zombie 3. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. What's going with you guys? I'm tired. <laughs> it's because we're starting late because of Brian, so. 15 minutes, calm down. Hey, that 15 minutes is significantly closer to my bedtime. <laughs> Well, let's jump into it then. Doug, do you want to tell us about Zombie? You mean Zombie 2? Sure. All right. Uh, I do believe you mean Zombie, the Flesh Eaters? <laughs> or just Zombie Flesh Eaters? How many titles? Or Dawn of the Dead Part 2? Or <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, this, this movie has, it may hold the record for a movie with the most alternate titles. What What I love about it is that, like, after this, all the sequels which aren't really sequels, have significantly less titles. Because <laughs> they're like, fuck it, we'll just name it after the title that most people know this one by. Um, anyways, yeah, the plot is that there's a zombie apocalypse. Everybody's seen this movie, so I'm not going to get detailed, but... Um, <laughs> have they? Yeah, like, yes. Everybody who's listening to this podcast has. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, no, there's a, a boat washes ashore in New York City with uh, an Italian zombie on it. So the a reporter and the daughter of the owner of the boat go down to the island where the owner is uh, missing. And uh, turns out there's like a weird combination of Romero zombies and voodoo zombies going on. And a zombie fights a shark and a girl gets stabbed in the eye and everything is awesome. <laughs> yeah, so let's just spend an hour talking about the chick getting stabbed in the eye. Oh, it's so every time I see this movie, I'm like, I forget how good that scene is. And then I watch it and I'm like, it, it looks so fucking good. And it's like, I'm not even watching like a great Blu-ray copy or anything. And it's still just, it's creepy and gross and amazing. And I love it. Yeah. I think, I think it, it would deserve if we were attempting a board of the greatest, uh, horror movie kill of all time. I think that the splinter into the eye goes w- way up at the top of that list somewhere. Well, yeah. I feel I feel like the actual poke in the eye is like good, like you know, it's fine. It's like yeah, that's good. But then when they fucking break it off into her head afterwards, yeah. it's yeah. like Jesus Christ! Oh, and it like it wrenches. Oh, that yeah. special effects so good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's the whole thing, too, because it's like the lead up where she's like leaning into the door and then the hand comes through and grabs her head and it's pulling her in. And so you have all that time to sit there and be like, that thing's going to poke her in the eye. 
that's really gonna poke her. It's good. There it is. Now it's gonna hit her eye. Like you have all that lead up time, so you're so excited by the time it happens, <laughs> and then it looks great, and then you're right. Like when her head comes up and it's like hanging out of there, you're like, "Yep, nailed it." Just everything about it is perfect. <laughs> so good. And a zombie fights a shark. God damn it. And it's a dude. It's just a dude in a suit in a shark tank. Literally wrestling with a shark. Yeah. He feeds when the moment comes where in that works the whole time I'm watching it. And I like I know just enough about sharks where I'm like, okay, so that shark is probably I don't know exactly the breed of it, but it's it's not a bull shark. So it's not really going to be particularly aggressive and it's probably a top feeder so as long as he's not like above it it's not going to like mistake him for food and grab him so you know he can fuck with the shark a little bit down there people do that and the next thing you know he's sticking like a false arm in there and like challenging the shark to a tug of war with it and you're like okay there's no safe way to do that there's no way around that like it's just not how it works right and trying to bite a shark literally bite a shark can, can you imagine like it's an italian stuntman in 1979 the guy probably got paid like 28 dollars for the day's work and they gave him a free lunch if he's lucky and he's biting a shark it's the best thing ever so it's, it was a tiger shark is it, those are relatively aggressive sharks uh is one of the most dangerous shark species that exist yeah okay so the trainer made sure to feed the shark right before they filmed. And they also shot it up with sedatives, so it wasn't overly aggressive. Okay, that makes a little more sense. Yeah. Because, yeah, like a tiger shark. Although this is, is, this is raising some more PETA red flags, I'm sure. <laughs> well, it was 1979. The world still hated sharks in a post-Jaws era, so nobody cared. Um, but yeah, even like, even a... That shark is still very dangerous, even on sedatives. I don't care. <laughs> like it's oh, totally. No safe way to do the things they do in this movie with that shark. It's just, and I don't even understand because the guy doesn't seem to have like enough padding on to be wearing any kind of gear. So he's holding his breath the whole time he's doing this too. Am I that what I'm to understand? <laughs> While wearing zombie makeup? <laughs> yeah, I think he's just holding his breath. Oh, <sighs> god damn! It's yeah. amazing. I remember correctly. I think they had like a scuba diver down there that was like feeding them air. And then, uh, okay, like, all right, yeah. we're getting ready to shoot. And then uh, the diver would swim out of frame and then they'd go for however long. And then diver would come back in, give them some air again. That makes total sense. I've, I've heard of them doing that in other movies where there's like prolonged underwater sequences. Yeah. Um, I'd be like, yeah. uh, no, thanks. I'm not, I'm not doing that. It's like the thing is like like being in the water with a tiger shark just is inherently dangerous and then to intentionally piss it off and then shove stuff in its mouth just seems like some oh, it put input fake blood in the water I'm sure I'm sure that's a good idea yeah it's, it's an Italian movie from 1979 we'll go with yeah let's hope it's fake blood and <laughs> not just somebody got injured on set <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how a shark would react to fake blood. I don't know enough about their biology to know whether they're relying on smell or not. Yeah, from what I understand, it's smell. Okay, so it's well again putting something in a shark's mouth while you're like riding on it. 
It's a bad idea. <laughs> it doesn't well, sound fun. Well, and it's and it's the 1970s, so that uh, fake blood is probably made out of film cleaner and super toxic. <laughs> so that's the real tragedy: is that this stuntman died of, from the toxicity of the fake oh my blood. god. Oh, so many things. So, uh, the this, guy, so it turns out the guy is not even a stuntman. No. So they had hired a stuntman to do it. All right. As I, as I teased last week, and he got sick the day they were going to shoot. <laughs> and maybe it was quote unquote sick. He's just like, I've thought about this. This is a horrible idea. Um. So they use the shark trainer. Okay. Who's used to dealing with the sharks, which I guess so, makes a little sense, but yeah. But he's also not used to being in zombie makeup. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, I guess of the people who you're going to throw in there with the shark, that makes the most sense. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun showing up to work that day and being like, Hey, his name's Ramon. Hey, Ramon, guess what? <laughs> you got to jump in. You got to jump in as a zombie. Cool. What am I doing? You're going <laughs> to wrestle the shark. Well, that explains how it got the sedatives too, though, eh? Because then he's like, "Well, fuck that! I'm, I'm drugging that thing up." Then <laughs> I was gonna say, in addition to all that, this movie also has one of the most iconic zombies, arguably. Uh, I do you believe they call him Maggot Eye, right? Yeah, could be right. Yeah, I don't know if he has a yeah. formal name in the in the credits or not, but I don't. Th- I don't think so in the credit. I think just in the history of things that you know, because he's been in tons of artwork and posters. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and everyone knows the image because it's the cover of a yeah. lot of the releases from VHS and DVD and stuff. Even if you've never seen the actual movie, definitely seen the image of Agadai. I guess is we're calling him. Yeah, Fulci loved to super glue worms to people. Well, it's like everybody a, needs a hobby. It's just a thing he was into in zombie movies. He was like, that zombie makeup looks great. Let's super glue some worms to that guy. So one thing we should point out that I think because this is a Fulci movie, um, this movie is iconic for all of these like gore effects and guys fighting sharks and stuff. I, I always forget that it's actually like a pretty good movie, too. Like, there's a plot that makes sense. There's, you know, characters with enough motivation for a 70s horror film that, they, you know, you understand why they're trying to get to this island. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it the all the stuff with, like, the doctors trying to save the sick people on the island and then having to, like, bury them in the mass graves. All that stuff is, like, dark and entertaining to watch. Like, I, I kind of got into the storyline of this one. Yeah, it's more, both. more than I remember it being. You know what I mean? Like it is sort of like a, almost a, like a, you could call it its own origin story for zombies, and it does a really good job. Yeah, I was gonna say because it it does it does in fact work as a you know it's a crazy Italian movie. So we talked about the eye poke and the shark thing, uh, but it's it's also just the it's just legit a good movie like i don't yeah. if, if you're into horror movies and you don't enjoy this movie i just don't know what the fuck is wrong with you <laughs> i mean i could understand somebody who's seeing it now for the first time thinking okay it's got to some extent the same plot as every zombie movie that kind of goes through that origin story which is fair but it's a really well done one and most of them aren't right i mean it's 
other than Night of the Living Dead, it's hard to think of one that's particularly better than this at kind of telling that zombie origin. And I like the way it mixes in the like the voodoo elements of it and stuff and tries to be respectful to voodoo by like 70s horror movie standards. Like they actually like discuss voodoo as like a legit religion and not just like make random shit up and announce it and call it voodoo. <laughs> There's no weird like rain dances going on in the background or anything like that. Like you hear in a lot of uh, voodoo-themed movies. it's There's a an attempt to explain what voodoo is in a real way. And, yeah. But then there's uh, there's always the zombie fighting the shark again, too. Like, let's, <laughs> let's, not, like, let's not fail to bring that up as many times as possible. Because every time I watch it, I'm always like, in my head, I know that it's coming. And then it, it happens, and you're just like... But he's sticking that like it's it's you can tell it's a fake arm, but he's still jamming it in that shark's mouth and then like pulling on it a bit. And I'm like, don't do that. That's just that's asking the shark to bite you like you're pissing it off. It's going to get defensive. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is when they all take a break. Turns out they're in the middle of like a conquistador graveyard and don't realize it. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> They're just laying on the ground and all of a sudden like arms and shit start just pulling up through the dirt. Like all of the visuals in this movie are fantastic. And that's just another great example of just like we've all we all kind of know that stuff's coming, but it's just done so well. So good. And is this uh, is this the origin of the dry zombies? Um, no, I I can't think of any zombie movies with those Italian style crusty zombies that pre-named this one. It'd be like the tombs of the blind dead series would be before this, right? Those are technically Spanish zombies. Yeah, I guess. I mean, Spanish Italian, basically the same. All right. Well, (laughs) bippity boppity, but I mean, like, yeah, I mean, they're, they're dry zombies that came out before this is my point. I don't need to get into your, weird like pseudo racism no i was agreeing with you i was just also (laughs) weirdly weirdly racist about the fact that spanish and italian is is essentially the same language with different endings on the words (laughs) all right Let's, let's let's not get into that let's that's not a tangent we need to be on uh what about the zombies at the beginning of the movie Please talk, on that, get on that fucking boat. And talk they talk sh- about fat zombie. Yeah, chubby zombie getting shot and falls into New York Harbor. I like chubby zombie. Oh, something about that guy that I like. The idea that he's been stuck on that boat, so he's been eating all the other people the whole ride up, and that's why he's so fat. I like the idea that he was a thin zombie when he got on the boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, and that then dude's did, still alive. He could make he could make so much bank on the convention circuit. Uh, did, any anybody in this movie could. Did we mention that they dress a guy up like a zombie and then throw him into a shark tank? <laughs> I think I think that's come up, but it's worth talking about again. <laughs> that is a selling point. I asked a friend of mine, have you ever seen this before? He's like, no. And I was like, oh, you should watch it. He's like, why? I've seen a billion zombie movies. Yeah, but have you ever watched a zombie fight a shark in real life? He's like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, zombie fights a shark in this. And it's 1979. So literally just a guy dressed up as a zombie fights a shark. And they filmed it. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, it's like, I don't know if you guys remember seeing this movie for the first time, but like for me, it's like it had a reputation and I knew the concept that a zombie was going to fight a shark. But I didn't, I did not expect this going into it. I remember watching it for the first time being like, holy shit, that zombie just fought that shark. Like, <laughs> I anticipated more of like them being in the scene together, but not physically interacting. And I'm, I was, I'm still even now shocked when he like bites at a shark and you're like, don't bite a shark. Like, yeah, it's backwards, man. <laughs> I use this movie as my cop out when, when people start talking about MMA fighting and I'm like, I just don't, I don't give a fuck about MMA fighting. I don't care about two fucking steroid junkies hitting each other. And they're like, yeah, but you've never seen anything that savage. And it's like, bullshit. I've seen a guy <laughs> dressed like a zombie in a shark tank fighting a goddamn shark. <sighs> uh, to be fair, they're really strict on drug testing in MMA, so they would not be able to use steroids. Yeah, they say that about every sport. And then the second they actually do some investigative reporting, they're all on drugs. Eh, people have been suspended for smoking weed before. Well, yeah, but that's the easiest one to find. Hmm. Yeah, you just go into the the uh, back room and you check by the vending machines and whoever's buying Doritos, you test them. It's easy to catch those guys. Do you uh, do you think Jabber Jaws would have been a good MMA fighter? Stick with what? the shark versus uh, human conflict. <laughs> this 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 may have gotten out of control. Maybe we should drop the MMA topic. <laughs> 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 I'm just saying, if we threw Chuck Liddell in a shark tank, I don't think he would perform as well as the shark trainer. <laughs> you know, you're probably right. Um, right. So some of the interesting stuff is this movie doesn't even completely survive on like zombies eating people. Like the uh, aforementioned conquistador graveyard. Like they just reach out of the ground and just start shredding up people's legs and shit. Yeah. With their bare hands, which is fucking awesome. Yeah. There's sort of a weird thing. Italian zombies have a natural ability to just pull people apart with their bare hands. Mm-hmm. I guess Romero zombies do that too. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, well, they're not supposed to have super strength, but they just seem to when it's convenient <laughs> plot wise and special effects wise. Yeah, and it really makes no sense. I mean, conquistadors have been dead there for like hundreds of years and seem like fully formed zombies rather than just skeletons rising out of the ground. Because they're them yeah. dusty mummy zombies, man. <laughs> it's fine. Mummy zombies. Listen, it's all fine because once you are going to get into, yeah, no, there's like this disease and it makes the people sick and then they come back to life. And it's because of some weird combination of illness and voodoo. Then I just think you have to go like, yeah, okay. So they come back to life in whatever state is convenient for the film. I don't think we can nitpick. <laughs> like, I do like uh, the scene where the doctor tells him to go get his wife. His wife turns out to be the lady who got her eye poked out. Yeah. So they show up at the house like, hey, are you here? And there's just like. 15 zombies just like sitting around like, oh my God, we just ate so much. <laughs> and, then, and then they're like, oh, delivery. And then they get up and start trying to attack people again. Like, you can see that um, Fulci borrows from Romero a lot because that is kind of a thing in the Romero films is the zombies are just 
hanging out and then they see people and they're like oh instinct just kicks in they got to go eat right but there is there are those scenes of them just like laying about because there's nothing around to eat so they don't know what else to do with their time so i guess the the moral message is zombies really need to develop hobbies i guess yeah they need to get their own social life (laughs) stop fighting sharks or have a shark fighting (laughs) league and just decide who's best at it that's a better alternative like that one motherfucker got his arm bit off. I bet you I could fight a shark without getting my arm bit off. This would be it would be the perfect movie if they just had uh one nightmare city esque body fall off of something and <laughs> hit a few bars all the way down. All right. That's <laughs> that's really my one my one movie preference that this movie does not. It doesn't fulfill that random niche of mine of liking to see mannequins bounce off stuff as they fall it's off of high pretty points. hard to write that one into here they're on like this little island and all of a sudden like oh look this island has one tall building on it might prove ridiculous uh what about the very end where the zombies are crossing the new york bridge yeah that visual and that like just i love the you know it's the 70s so the ending is just like yeah we went through all that story for no real good reason because that first zombie from the beginning, he's just going to ta- help take over the world now. So it really doesn't matter. All that other stuff was sort of irrelevant. It was all about whether zombies are going to take over that one little island. And now they're taking over New York City and presumably all of North America at least. But yeah, the visual of them all just walking is really cool. And then, of course, the, the concept of letting the zombies win is... Because I'm team zombie if it's zombies versus humans. Let's be honest. Well, you are until they get to your house. Eh, even then. I'm <laughs> I'm pro zombies eating everyone. I'm just not pro me being eaten. <laughs> I like I like to think that if you were kind to the zombies, they'd kill you before they ate you. So you're not like one of those ones who's like sitting there watching your legs get eaten and you're still alive. That would suck, but. I don't feel any of us have the skills to survive in a post-apocalyptic oh, world anyway. We might as well go no. down in the initial wave. <laughs> it's, what's what's <laughs> the point? I, I, I would panic about the food running out, eat a cake. My blood sugar would like tank and I would just fall asleep <laughs> and just instantly be eaten by zombies. They'd be like, mmm, cake. <laughs> so, he said, his blood sugar is so high. <laughs> like, the zombies are saving you for dessert after they eat somebody who's had a more healthy meal earlier in the day. <laughs> Zombie has to check his fucking Fitbit. It's like, mmm, had lots of steps today. I can yeah. have cake. Eat a, eat a carrot, asshole. <laughs> You're just getting shit talked by zombies as they eat. I I single handedly in the zombie apocalypse because all their teeth rot out, all out of their mouths. <laughs> they all just go to diabetic comas. Oh, Lord. Right. Anything else? <laughs> Any other favorite parts of zombie besides the whole thing? Yeah, no, that's the things I just want to say. The whole thing is I like I. I think I would reiterate the point that like yes. The individual scenes are amazing, but in between the scenes, there's an actual good movie here, which is not something that that this film has a reputation for being. And I think maybe, um, and we'll get into this discussion with the next movie, it's like the movies that stand the test of the time do have a story to them and are well-made films, as well as having, you know, the gore effects and everything else. And, And I think that 
as a society, we sort of forget that these movies have great plots because we can remember the visuals. But there's a reason why people have been watching this one for whatever it's been, 40 years or something. There's an actual story reason why a shark fights a zombie. Yeah, and I, even the whole setup to that is like pretty well done. I mean, it's an Italian movie, so you have to like get your head around the fact that when this girl goes scuba diving, she wears nothing but see-through panties. But, you know, <laughs> besides that, it's like it's kind of fun to watch her like dive down there and get scared of the shark and then the zombie shows up. The scene is really well constructed. I really like it. Let's once again. Yeah, fucking Italians, man. Fucking <laughs> I should have been I should have been there. I know I was born in the wrong place at the wrong time. I should have been a sleazy 1970s Italian filmmaker. <laughs> so just an Italian filmmaker. Yeah, indeed. Just grow a mustache and start making movies. Maybe you can still do it. All right. Well, Noah, do you want to try to explain zombie three? Yeah. Uh, so zombie three, uh, is to return of the living dead as zombie is to night of the living dead. They're kind of these analogs of each other, just Italianed up. And (laughs) that's not unfair. Yeah. Uh, and this particular one, there is a medical research being funded, of course, by evil military types, (laughs) For their research into a disease called Death One, because <laughs> Italians. We have to we have to pause this to talk about the fact that later in the movie there are like you didn't warn us about the risks of Death One. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Death Death One. The, it's amazing. The, the, the disease that from the very beginning of the movie, he's like, okay, this is too dangerous. We need to really stop screwing with this. And they're like, what do you mean it can be airborne? <laughs> uh, yeah. So doing experiments, uh, the head scientist tries to terminate those experiments. Military guys are like, hey, we want this zombie body. Uh, some terrorists are like, no, we want that zombie body. Zombie gets out. Uh, ends up at a Filipino hotel and then, yeah, zombie apocalypse. And then various groups of people are trying to survive said apocalypse. And much like Return of the Living Dead, this movie is kind of just a uh, escalating zombie movie where where things just kind of get more and more intense and ridiculous as the film rolls on. Until finally, almost, almost as delightful as zombie fighting shark, we get the infamous flying zombie head bouncy bite attack. Oh, my God. I did not know that was from this movie. I'd I'd seen that scene before, but I'd never seen this movie before. So I got pretty excited when that flying zombie head shows up. (laughs) I was not anticipating the, the... I was not anticipating that. I was not anticipating the zombie birds that you skipped over in your plot description. Oh, yeah, yeah, zombie birds. So I fell asleep watching this movie. It's not indicative of the movie's good or not. It's just, it just happened. Okay. I missed the flying zombie head. Oh, no. Person opens a fridge that for some reason has a zombie head in it, and the head can move on its own so it flies out of the fridge and starts biting the person's neck but they push it away and then it comes flying back at them 
Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, which it's, I mean is aggressively stupid. It's awesome to watch. It's so fun, but it's aggressively stupid. The concept that this head can just fly around on its own. It's like you're trying to insult our intelligence. You're challenging us to like, go ahead, criticize the scene. You know, it's dumb. Go ahead. And I'm like, well, I don't want to, though, because it's so fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, I'm just bummed. I was like, yeah. God damn it. I only I only have one complaint about zombie three and that is there's something about the way it's shot that it reminds me of being slightly and this is going to sound weird slightly too polished it looks it looks like it looks like it's shot on vhs does that make sense it it looks the the film looks too clean which makes it look weird oh Especially for the era it is and the type of movie it is. It might have been shot on VHS when you say it like that, because it was 1988. And right. I don't feel like this had the biggest budget. Um, and once again, only complaint. My, my only complaint is that it kind of, and, which is weird because I love trauma movies, but it kind of looks like a late era trauma movie mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. See, I would say my bigger complaint would be that the movie I find is really inconsistent. Like, I don't know exactly how the zombie virus spreads. I don't know who, why it infects some people and some people aren't infected. I don't know how a zombie behaves in this movie. Like, some of them are just, like, maniacs running around with, like, swords and shit. And some of them are more, like, traditional zombies. And some of them are, like, jumping in ways that make me think that they develop some sort of jumping power when they turn into zombies. Some of them seem to die. Especially when they're in separate head form. Yeah. It's, it's really weird that way. And there's like a lot of like really strange, like it's almost like, I know it's an Italian movie and they don't make sense in the way that traditional movies make sense, but it felt like they were trying to not make sense in this movie. Like there's a scene where a girl gets pushed off of a ledge by a zombie and she falls into a lake and then, like, you see her bouncing around like crazy, and I have no idea why. And the guy jumps in to save her, pulls her out, and her legs have been eaten off. I have no idea what ate her legs off. Because the zombie that was attacking her didn't go into the water. Apparently, with there's already zombies in that water. But then why didn't they eat the guy that went in to save her? I don't know. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> and that's a, that's a mild complaint for me. It's weird to watch. You're just like, why are you doing this? Like, why don't you just... Like, show a zombie eating her leg. Problem solved. Have him kick the zombie in the head so he can save her. There you go. Like, it's not hard to, like, make that make enough sense for an Italian zombie movie. Yeah. Although, <laughs> once once again, I'll point out the fact that I I think the nonsensicalness of the movie is part of it. Because they're doing, like I said, they're doing the same thing they did with the first zombie movie. They're just doing it for a different thing. Instead of that take yeah. on a serious plotting horror movie, it's a take on outrageous comedy horror. I'll, I think you're being very generous to them, but I'll allow it because whatever. Because there's a, okay, there's a point in this movie because a lot of people probably haven't seen it. So there's a point in this movie where a bunch of military guys end up at this like hotel from the beginning, and the hotel is now completely empty. Makes no sense. They actually go into the kitchen, and it's been cleaned out. Like it's as if the hotel's been empty for 25 years, but there were people there 20 minutes ago in movie time. Anyways, but they're at the hotel and they're running around and they're like, "Shit, they're zombies. What are we gonna do?" And they're like, "Luckily, we found all these guns outside the hotel, <laughs> and there's just a crate of guns there." 
but they're fucking military guys. You could have just had the guns like be in the trunk of the Jeep and you'd have been like, that would have been fine. Like everybody would just accept that. But they had to like go out of their way to write in a scene that made no sense. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's just so weird. Trying to explain stuff that doesn't need to be explained. But yeah, then like, other, other shit, we're just like, eh, zombies ate her legs off in, the, in a lake and we just didn't see it. But it's, but it's not even like, it's like. Okay, we want to write. We need them to have guns. We need to write a scene. Well, they're military guys, and they pulled up in a military jeep. There's a real like. I'm not a scriptwriter, and I'm not going to try to do get every little detail right. But there's a real easy way to make them go to the jeep and get guns, and not just find guns on the side. <laughs> like it's 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 as if they're spitting in the face of anyone who's trying to make sense out of the movie. And I, I like famously, Fulci did not complete this movie. He started it. And I believe one of the directors that finished it on its behalf is like the guy from Troll 2. So it's hard for me to believe that this stuff was intentional <laughs> and not just bad filmmaking. I want to believe it's intentional, but I, I think it might just be the best he knows how to do. Maybe. Because if you've ever seen interviews with that director, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but Claudio like, Vergrasio. There you go. Like if you've seen like that movie, like best worst movie or whatever, like about Troll 2. And everyone's like, everyone else is having a lot of fun with this. Like, hey, man, like we made this movie. It's really, really dumb, but it's so dumb that people enjoy it. So everyone else is having fun with it. And he is deadpan serious. Like, I don't understand why people criticize this movie. <laughs> like, and I'm like, you don't? Have you watched it? <laughs> so that's what makes me think that in this case, he's like, we need, we need them to have guns. What's the best way for them to get guns? I know they'll just be a crate of guns outside the hotel and they'll just find it and they'll conveniently they'll all be there working that way this whole movie will make sense well i'm looking at this guy's imdb mm-hmm. there's another film of his that we have to cover okay called rats night of terror oh i've thought about watching that before i did not know it was one of his uh in a post-apocalyptic earth where most of humanity lives underground a group of surface people stumble upon an abandoned lab that was trying to bring life back to the Earth's surface, but the place is run is overrun by vicious rats. All right, sounds good to me. What year? Eighty four. Eighty four. That's about the right year to make that movie. Okay. Team up with like Food of the Gods too. <laughs> we haven't watched that yet, so it's true. My favorite bit of trivia on the IMDb for Zombie Three is that the uh, head popping out of the freezer was not in the original script and in later years Lucio Fulci basically said that that was his idea and it's the only part of the entire movie that he's proud of (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) this guy this guy also directed Strike Commando 2 and Zombie 4 yes so if you want to keep your zombie watching going I think one of the future zombie movies has the word ninja in the plot description, I believe. <laughs> uh, like I was just, I just looked at it briefly when I was like watching this one. So we'll, we'll have to do four and five. We've done like one, two and three this week. We did six last week. So we'll have to do four and five at some point. Well, technically we didn't do one. Well, technically one and two are the same movie. <laughs> so, well, Technically, Zombie One is Dawn of the Dead. Well, that's I don't accept that. Depending on what naming conventions you're going with, I don't accept that. Zombie Five is all about the birds, though. Yeah, I know. 
<laughs> we haven't even really talked about the fact that there are zombie birds in this movie and they bite the shit out of people's faces. And I just, I just love the, the, these two, these two people are just like, Oh man, we should move all these dead birds out of the road. And then they go out there and one of them's just like, ah, jumps, just claws the shit out of his face. And pecks oh, yeah. Him. Zombie. Z- just zombie eagle to the face. <laughs> it's great. It's fa- it's fantastic. And the, the, like whatever that wound is that the birds leave on that dude's face, the special effect of how like whenever it's convenient, blood just comes squirting out of it <laughs> looks so good. Oh, I loved it. I don't know where they were keeping those blood packets on in underneath that makeup, but it looked great when the blood came spewing out. And I don't know if it's a if it's an error in the filmmaking or if it's on purpose. But if you get bit by a bird, it looks like red blood comes out of you. But if you get bit by a zombie human, you get uh, green blood coming out of you. So I don't know if that's <laughs> different in the mutation of their virus. That's looking uh, looking for connective stuff in this movie. It's insane. It's insane. But it's super fun in some ways, the way they do connect the story. I think because there's like the military guys and the bus of girls that they were trying to flirt with while they were driving all end up at that hotel together. And then we've got that couple that gets attacked by the birds and you're like, it's two completely different stories that seem to have no connection, but then damned if like when the zombies are chasing that one, that one military guy, he runs all the way through the woods and pops out on the road and hops in the cars with the two bird people. And now that <laughs> now they're a team working together for the rest of the movie. Like it's, <laughs> they just like, whatever. Yeah. We're just going to make these two join up now. Sure. <laughs> This is a wacky movie, even by the standards of stuff we talk about. Like, it, it was nuts the way everything just kept happening. And then every now and again, they'd cut back to, like, those uh, scientists talking about making a cure. And I kept thinking, well, that's how the movie will probably end. And it doesn't. Because it ends yeah. with the military going, fuck this cure bullshit. We'll just put hazmat suits on some soldiers, send them in, have them murder literally everything in, in this area. <laughs> I mean, so the lead scientist guy is my favorite part of the entire movie only because so the actor playing him is doing just this bombastic over the top Nick Cage performance. <laughs> and then whoever they got to do the voiceover for that guy also is doing an over the top Nick Cage performance. It's just a different Nick Cage performance. It's it not does. the bees. <laughs> It does. You seem burned like- the body. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I love when the scientists are like, if you burn the body, then the virus will be in the air. And the military guy goes, ah, that's just science fiction stuff and throws the body in the burn. <laughs> like, come on, man. I literally told you what was going to happen. <laughs> what about the, uh, like for 1988, this has uh, a meta humor moment in it where the guy's like one of the like three times that the military scientist accuses accuses the real scientist of being like into science fiction. He's like, we're literally working on a thing that reanimates dead corpses that come back and bite people and eat them. What isn't science fiction about this? Like like, they call it right out in the movie. I'm like, Oh, that's pretty good for 1988. Uh, Any other fun stuff? Did this uh, did this movie hit a little close to home for you guys with it being all about the military working to make a virus and then it escapes and causes a pandemic just like we're dealing with right now, which is obviously the truth of what's going on in our real world? <laughs> I'm not just saying that to poke you guys and see if I can get Noah's head to explode. Listen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
I don't know. Here's here's the crazy thing. So that's the type of thing that I refuse to believe it because I haven't actually seen any evidence of it. But it's also the type of thing that if tomorrow they came out and there was evidence of it, I'd be like, yeah, it sounds right. <laughs> oh, yeah. If, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much with you on that. If they if somebody would actually show me evidence of that or. You know, if one reliable source would say it rather than just conspiracy theorists. Anyways, what else about the movie, guys? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I really I like the kind of uh, I don't know what, what I would call them. Toxic zombies. Does that does that yeah. track with you guys? Because they're kind of the green oozy zombies. Yeah, I dig it. I, d- I dig that. I dig most of the makeup effects. Some of them are a little worse than others, Ugh. but but most of it's pretty good. Some of that stuff looks terrible. The, I found the <sighs> moments where there was like a lot of zombies. It was like the classic problem of like we just don't have the time or budget to make up all of these people. So we're going to get like the ones that get close ups are going to have good makeup on, and the other ones aren't. Uh, even some of the close ups, I think, were pretty bad. Yeah, they, they just like glue those appliances on their face and don't bother blending them at all. So it looks like they just have a giant piece of plastic on their forehead and down the down their cheek or whatever. That's a fair criticism, I suppose, but you could apply that to a lot of movies. So. Sure. I was going to say, and you could apply that to a lot of my favorite movies. <laughs> it's, no, it doesn't see it as a criticism. Listen, I respect and I love somebody who really puts in the time and effort to do a good special effect. And I also like a motherfucker who's like, let's put some M80s in a balloon full of pig shit. (laughs) What was that? Death Wish 3 or something? (laughs) Probably. I remember that scene. It blew that child up. (laughs) Um, Shit. What about uh, the fact that some zombies can talk and some can't? Sometimes the zombies seem to have like are like just out there trying to eat like a normal zombie is, but sometimes they are uh, they you know like seem to have like menace to them where they're going after certain people and like that one guy she calls his girlfriend by his na- by name right before he tries to eat her. Does that yeah. bother you guys that they're completely different types of zombies all over the? No, <laughs> once once again to me it just feels like Return of the Living Dead, which is pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Where the zombies are as intelligent as that moment of that film calls for them to be. Fair enough. Now, we do need to talk about the last zombie in the movie, which is the radio DJ that has been oh, providing Jesus. news updates throughout the. And then the movie ends with him being a zombie and continuing to give news updates, even though he's in full zombie mode. And the people are like, the, the survivors are like, uh oh! It looks like they've gotten to the radio DJ. <laughs> They're like, we'll have to go kill him as we kill all these other zombies. Well, it's funny because he starts doing the whole, you know, it's our world now kind of thing, and you'd think the joke would have been, he's like, yeah, the military are saying everything's all right, so why don't you all just come outside, out into the open, just leave your weapons behind. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I don't know. It's it's that was a little much for me. The fact that he was still doing radio broadcasts as a zombie. I don't feel that that's what zombies would do, but well, you know, if it's your calling, <laughs> I also don't know how he got infected because he was just inside that little booth all day, but I don't know how anyone gets infected in this world. So listen, if you touch a zombie or get bit by a zombie or breathe zombie dust <laughs> or 
fall into some water where some zombies have been in that water. Or look or, at a zombie. Or, or look at a zombie or get bitten by a, a flying head. But not everybody, just some of the people. Yeah. Another <laughs> question. How did that zombie's head get in that freezer? No, it makes no sense. That is not a question you're supposed to be asking. It That whole sequence makes no sense. They go into that kitchen and it's cleaned out. And then they're like, there's a zombie head in here, though. But it was like a day ago that the zombie apocalypse started. None of it makes any sense. So. Also, worth it. Oh, it's fine. Because if that... If, like, if, if they had missed the mark by even a little bit, that scene would have pissed me off. But they nailed that zombie head flying out of that fridge <laughs> and biting that person's neck. And I'm like, okay, you, you can have it. As dumb as all this is, you can just have it. Because look at that. Look at how that zombie's eating that guy's neck. I think I think I would be down for an entire movie that is just about a zombie disease that causes you to die. And then you rot, and then your head falls off, and then your head hops around and bites people. Yeah. Do they have to be stored in the fridge for some reason? Like, that's your last move as your body's rotting? You just put your own head in the freezer and collapse in front of it? Well, you just kind of... I I feel like you work in some kind of universal soldier-esque thing where the virus causes you to overheat. (laughs) So you gotta... So your head's gotta roll into a freezer every once in a while. That's... That makes total sense. We definitely need a universal soldier element to these zombie films. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, plus, hell, mixing them together means we get to see Jean-Claude Van Damme get bit by a floating head, and I'm pretty down with that. Or is is it just Jean-Claude Van Damme's CGI head floating around the screen now? With With his headless corpse. Throwing hurricane kicks at motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> just John Claude Van Damme's head and Dolph Lundgren's head just rolling at each other and slamming into each other over and over again. <laughs> this is sounds like a Jean Claude Van Damme version of Reanimator, and I'm down for it. All right, that's it. We need to revoke Will Smith's Oscar and give it to uh, Doug for writing the movie of the year. (laughs) Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren's severed heads battling. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, Alright, what did everybody watch? Things! Uh, I went and saw Morbius. I don't mm-hmm. know if both of you went to see it or not. I know Brian saw it. <laughs> no, I didn't. You guys go ahead and discuss it if you want. I'm not going to be seeing it. Here's here's where I'm at on it. It's okay. <laughs> it's not it's not great, but it's not it's not like a steamy pile of shit. It does. It looks an awful lot like somebody filmed a very different movie, and then some studio exec was like, "No, recut this into a different thing." Because some of the flow of the movie doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Which I'm wondering, and this is pure speculation, 
because some of the, because I wrote like a Easter egg thing that's going to be coming out on Joe Blow soon. But some of the trailer stuff seemed to indicate this was in the MCU proper. And guess what? It's not. It's actually in the Venom universe. Yeah. And some video I saw is like, they're like, this is speculation, but I wonder if they showed the movie and Disney was like, oh, no, fuck that. That's not going to be a part of our, you know, engineered Marvel universe. Well, I keep that in your Sony bullshit universe. The thing is, like, it's there's that famous moment, that press conference where like the, the Sony person is talking and saying like, oh, yeah, it's all connected. These things all happen in the same universe. And Kevin Feige is beside her, like rolling his eyes and staring into the camera like Jim from The Office. <laughs> and it's like Sony really, really wants all of their stuff to be seen as part of the MCU. And the MCU does not want that. And so I imagine there's some level of like Sony pushing the boundaries and then Disney coming back and going, you can release it like that if you want, and then we can sue you or you can just fix that shit and not try to trick people into thinking that this is part of our universe, you know? And I imagine that happens on all of those movies to some extent. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's just some stuff like there's there's a scene where he's in uh, being interrogated and it's been a while since he's had blood and he's starting to lose his mind. And the very next scene is him in his cell and somebody coming to see him and he's no longer freaking out and losing his mind. And I was like, wouldn't wouldn't that be worse? Who's the script supervisor? Somebody somebody did not pay attention to what the fuck they were doing. Yeah, this movie, I mean, just the editing stuff is terrible in itself. So like beginning, the beginning the very beginning of the movie is that scene that we've seen in the trailer, like a billion times where they take the helicopter, stop at the cave or whatever. And then he cuts his hand and all the bats come flying out. And then it cuts to like the shot of some shot of some English city or whatever. And it's like 25 years earlier. And then it shows him as a kid, like having this problem with, you know, whatever genetic problem he's got. And then they play that scene out and then it cuts to him being nominated or, you know, being awarded a Nobel prize for this fake blood that that he's created. But then he gets up to give a speech, but then just cut to later in his lab. And we find out he rejected the Nobel prize because he feels like he failed. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like the pattern of these scenes make no goddamn sense whatsoever. Yeah. And then he uh, has someone get him a boat so he can do human experiments in international waters. And I'm is like, it, what, wouldn't the regular flow to be show him as a kid with the problem? Right. And then cut to him being like, I need to go find these bats. So I will tell you the boat. The him doing it on a boat thing is part of the new continuity. That's like yeah, yeah, yeah. book accurate. So no, totally. I don't have a problem with the boat. My, my problem is the flow of the story, which instead of all this weird jumbled mess that they got going on, it's sh- show him as a kid, show him then now, you know, being nominated for a Nobel prize and turning it down. Cause he's like, I have not completed my blah, 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 whatever bullshit excuse. And then have him just say something like make up some weird reason. Like 
there's these bats, these vampire bats that have never interacted with humans. So you can make up some sort of like, well, if they bite humans, then like they ingest their DNA and it fucks them, fucks up the, the chemicals that we need in their body. So this specific group of vampire bats has never interacted with humans before. Some, you know, bullshit excuse for them to go to some in the middle of nowhere cave to get vampire bats. Have them get the boat, take the boat to wherever this is. And then on the way back, he's like, see, I was right. I did it. And then just inject himself with it. Like all good superhero stories go and then continue on. It doesn't. Doesn't seem like it's that hard, but man, that first like 45 minutes, I'm just like, who the fuck edited this movie? Like this movie's all over the goddamn place. Yeah. The, the endings like that too. The endings cut in a weird yeah. way in which super, super spoiler. So this is the, this is literally the end of the movie. So yeah, don't see it. It doesn't matter. Uh, so he is 100% prepared to off himself after he stops his evil friend vampire, right? Mm-hmm. He goes, they have their big epic in fight. He <laughs> leaves. Not really that epic. He, yeah, he, well, yeah, the, yeah. Cause they reveal his super bat powers that they kind of hinted at once earlier in the movie. This just, a, it's a deuce sex kind of ending, which I don't particularly like, but so then we have him fly off cut to the after credit scenes where apparently he's completely decided not to kill himself, which would have probably been a good thing to put. I don't know on screen because that's pretty important, <laughs> pretty important part of a character arc. And then he's approached by a supervillain who wants to team up and he's just into it. Even though through the whole movie, they've been pushing the fact that yes, he is a monster, and yes, he has this terrible urge, but he's also a super ethical person who just wants to do the right thing. And it just doesn't make any sense for a guy to be like, hey, let's team up, and him go, hmm, okay. <laughs> so, so Doug, do you want us to tell you the post credit scenes? Yeah, com- yeah. Co- completely shit in Marvel's mouth? Yeah, like, I've, I've heard some things, but yeah, let's get into it. Uh, so I guess, I mean, we've just talked about sort of the ending without really giving anything away. This is going to be post credit scene stuff. So you can listen at your own, your own peril if need be. Um, so the ending of the movie is really stupid, by the way. Um, his love interest turns into a vampire. Sure. Fine. That's from the comics as well, but well, but it's complete. That's completely different from the comics. We'll talk about that in a minute. It reaches the same point in theory, I guess, but the, the ending is literally the word he defeats his nemesis in like the most anticlimactic way possible to which Amanda turned to me and she's like, that's it. That's, that's how the fight ends. And I was like, (laughs) I guess so. And then like, then he flies off, and then we see his girlfriend, who we thought was dead, open her eyes and looks all vamped out. And then credits start rolling, and she's like, that's literally how they're ending the movie? That's bullshit. And I was like, yeah, I know. So first cr- post credit scene. So you know, you know in Spider-Man No Way Home? Yeah. When Doctor Strange tells Peter, like, oh, hey, like, this rift is open because all of these people are coming 
that knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, so they're all coming mm-hmm. to kill you. Yeah. And I could close it, but then everybody would forget you're Peter Parker. And, and you know, that, that's the explanation. They're, they're being pulled into this universe because they know Peter Parker is Spider-Man, so they're all coming to kill you. So these are the rules of why this rift is happening. So then Peter's like, yeah, do it. And then they close it and everything's fine. So in the Venom universe, apparently, uh, the rift works the opposite way. Right. Well, it doesn't because we know that Venom got pulled through. Sure. But he he returns home to his home reality. So, so he gets sent back just like everybody else. What, what I'm pointing out is that it's been established that in the Venom universe, it does work the same way it does in the MCU. Yes. Because I think what you're about to tell me is that it doesn't anymore because it's no, convenient for the purposes of this movie. Yes. Well, I, I have a theory as to why it works, but okay. it's it's dumb. It's, it, there's There should be no theories for why it works this way because well, it's stupid. If if that is in fact not the last time the rift happens and is the first time the rift happened. That means tombs came over to this universe, not from the last spell, but from the initial fuck up. Yeah. Which means he's in an alternate universe. When strange cast the spell to make everybody forget. Sure. Um, But that takes a lot of justification to get there. So Morbius was in jail for like a split second. He's not in jail anymore. But the post credit scene, they just show his jail cell and then somebody just sort of like quantum leaps into it. And it's fucking Michael Keaton, the vulture. And he's just like, oh, I guess I guess I'm in this jail now. And they cut to more credits. And then another post credit scene uh, shows Morbius basically doing like a car commercial where he's just driving a fancy car through the mountains of California. I was driving at a night and way before I started drinking people's blood. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, on the radio, there's some news report that it's like, well, technically, Adrian Toomes has not committed any crimes in this universe. So they're. <laughs> it says that in the radio report? Pretty much. So they have really no reason to hold him anything. So he, he's he's free to go from prison. So he's he's really it's not something we saw actually happen. Just heard about it on the radio. And then Morbius stops at some like empty field, gets out of the car, just stands there, looks at his watch. It's like three in the morning. And then uh, here comes flying in Adrian Toomes and his vulture get up. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, we should totally team up. And Morbius is like, okay. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. He also says, I don't know how I got here. I assume it has something to do with Spider-Man. And there's some weirdness there, too, because Morbius doesn't react to somebody just randomly saying Spider-Man. <laughs> but which guys- means Spider-Man has to exist in that universe. You guys forgot to tell me the part where he gets his new vulture suit because if he showed up in jail, presumably he didn't bring it with him. Yep. So he just uh, apparently just built a new vulture suit and it's it's different. And it actually it looks pretty cool. I'll give it I'll give it that much, I guess. But didn't 
they're, they're forgetting that he built his vulture suit out of discarded uh, alien, alien tech. tech. Um, yeah. Oh, well, I'll take I'll take it a step further. And there, he doesn't know how to build a vulture suit. He hired a guy that built the suit for him. So he just there's no way unless that other guy also just happened to come over. <laughs> yeah. So I'm further further in the fact that Sony built this movie to be in the MCU. And Disney was like, after they made it, was like, no. So they had to go in and re-edit a bunch of shit. And then apparently Michael Keaton was on some talk show and he was talking that he had to go do some reshoots for some Vulture stuff. And my guess is the quantum leaping into the cell and then doing a voiceover because you know the character has the helmet on the whole time in the second one. So he just records another voiceover of him saying, like, I don't know why I'm in this reality. It's probably because of Spider-Man. He's fucking god-awful. Venom doesn't know who Spider-Man is. No. Venom doesn't know who Spider-Man is, but the guy who's new to the place does. But will he remember that it's Peter Parker? Uh, Who knows? It's fucking Sony. They'll probably be like, oh, yeah, they all remember. And Kevin Feige has, like, a fucking aneurysm in his house. Why, why won't Sony just stop? Just right? e- either pick a number and just send a, an email to like Kevin Feige at marvel.com with a number in the subject line and no body to your text and they'll send you a check <laughs> and then you're just out of the game or fucking strike up a deal where you let Marvel make the fucking movies and then they're good movies that have potential to build this huge cool universe as opposed to your bullshit that is ruining everything. Yeah. But, you know, this is all set up for Sinister Six because, you know. Yeah, because Morbius Morbius has so much to do with the fucking Sinister Six. (laughs) God damn it, Sony. God damn it, Sony. (laughs) But, like, talk about setting yourself up for failure. Like, when Marvel just did like a sinister five movie <laughs> no you're gonna do well we're gonna do sinister six with a bunch of actors that you don't have an emotional connection to and you know clearly our movie will be nowhere near as good as theirs so what do you think of that don't you guys do you guys all want to come and be disappointed in the theaters so we can make a little a little bit of money i'll, t- I'll tell you another piece of uh frustration i have with the film is, is so for all of its fucked up problems Jared Leto and Matt Smith and uh, oh, I can't remember her name. Who's the the actress who plays Martine? Oh, I, I have no idea. I can't remember. But they all they all put in these great fucking performances. Really, I mean, they're doing like it's good. the The characters would be good if the film wasn't edited to shit. You know what I mean? Jared Leto is pretty good. Anytime he tries to get cheesy or corny, I, I don't. It just draws me out. I'm just like, you're not like a good, like, throwing out weird puns or well, it does, making it, jokes. It does feel like, do you remember when the first trailer came out and everybody was like, oh, no, they're trying to make another grim, dark, sunny movie. And then they came out with that other trailer and it had some humor and stuff in it. And you were like, okay, well, maybe they're going to not do that and it'll be okay. And then I walked into this movie and I was like, this movie has no humor. It's like not, I don't know. There's no, 
build to anything. It's just kind of like, here's something that should make you feel sad. And you're like, okay, yeah, but let's, let's roll into that. And they're like, no, now here's something spooky. And you're like, yeah, but it's not, it's not really spooky because you're not building any tension. And they're like, okay, superhero movie. You're like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Can I, can I tell you how I want, I wanted this movie to play out? Um, it makes no logical sense and nobody would do it this way. But in my head, I had a, it would have been cool for them to do this type stuff. So Matt Smith is the villain in this, which is not uh, super apparent unless you watch superhero movies. Um, they, him and uh, more Michael Morbius grew up together and they both had the same uh, uh, disease or whatever. So they both have to walk with like canes and have blood transfusions like three times a day and whatever else. Like the most obvious setup ever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. So then Morbius ejects himself with the, with the stuff and then he goes to jail. Um, but it, in between that, he like meets with Milo cause Milo's like super rich. So he's the one who like bankrolls getting him a boat and all this other shit. Um, with the promise that he's trying to cure what's wrong with both of them. And then at some point he, after he's turned into vampire Morbius, Matt Smith's character shows up and is like, Oh, did you get the cure? I need it. I want it like right now. And Morbius like yells at him to get out of the, get out of his lab or whatever. It's a curse. You don't want it. He's like, but I could die. And it's like, it doesn't matter. So when he gets arrested and is in jail, Milo shows up to visit him. And then we find out after he leaves the cell that uh, he, of course, has injected himself with the whatever. So he's also bad guy vampire now. And, you know, it's completely healed. Part of me wishes they had just picked a different villain. The movie had played out, you know, typical superhero stuff. They, they fight. Morbius wins. Um, but he still gets, like, arrested for whatever. He ends up in prison. Just where you could have your vulture stuff if anything even remotely made sense in this movie. Um, and then in the movie, with Matt Smith coming to visit him, and they totally pull a uh, usual suspects on him, where he comes to visit him all with the cane and like limping and stuff. And then after he leaves, he starts, you know, walking better and whatever with the realization oh shit, he took the serum. He's going to be bad too. And then you roll roll a credit i mean it sounds better but yeah i was gonna i was gonna say one of the things they fucked up too is so the morbius comics kind of super super depend on this idea that there are vampires in the world but morbius is something else like he's the weird science vampire he is not a I, if I remember right, they call them true vampires in the comic books. Mm. And that distinction ends up being very, 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 very important as far as who the good guys are and who the bad guys are a lot <laughs> of the times. And it also ends up being so in I'm, I'm sure that this isn't the direction they're going. So I don't think it's a spoiler. But Martine in the comic books becomes a true vampire trying to figure out a way to be with Morbius. 
And then there's this whole thing where she's trying to turn him into a true vampire so that they can do the whole eternal lovers thing. And, uh, and instead she gets staked through the fucking heart. (laughs) And it's kind of one of those big Morbius moments where, you know, kind of destroys his whole world all over again. But you can't, you can't do that if you don't establish the difference between what they are. I don't know. It's it's a it's a weird comic book gripe, but it's kind of it's an important thing in the comic books. It doesn't sound like a weird gripe to me. It sounds like what you're saying is there's this complex lore that they could build up to and create a whole series of comic books of comic book movies with this character, but instead they're just like fuck it, just slap together whatever because we have to have it out by this weekend. And that that's what it seems like to me. I I don't think it's nitpicky to say that they're ruining everything by doing it all wrong. Yeah, I suppose so. The only other thing I watched was Moon Knight. Are we talking about Moon Knight at the end? Did you watch it then? I did, yes. Yeah, we can talk about it at the end. Okay. Then that's it. That's all I got. What did you watch, Doug? Um, I don't have a lot. I finally got around because, like, you know, my pulse right on the uh, brink of society there just, like, always wanting to know the newest best thing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon movie from 2007 or whatever (laughs) I finally got around (laughs) to watching that one Um, which I weirdly enough I thought it was really neat I didn't know what it was going in is this the TMNT one yeah yeah sorry Um, no it's just because they've done there have been others since yeah they've done uh, TV movies from some of the um, series they had that had essentially the the turtle multiverse before the multiverse thing was popular. Yeah. So I didn't know if it was one of those, but yeah. TMNT. No. Yeah, so the one that's effectively a continuation of the live action movies, that, which I think we did the first one on this podcast a long time ago. Um, and yeah, it was weirdly like my compliment to it would be that it did, it felt like it picked up the characters from that live action movie. So I really like that because mm-hmm. it's you don't have to reestablish the characters. And it's also not like that cartoony silliness of like just assuming we know the characters. It felt like they were grown from what we've the characters we've met. And the movie starts with them being, you know, separated and having to come together again as a team. And I thought that worked well enough. They use the uh, Ghostbusters to. Uh, uh conceit where they've all separated and have to yeah because they even have is it michelangelo is doing like the party thing that rain was doing in mm, totally. ghostbusters too that's, that's why it just rang such a bell i'm like yeah oh, they're totally doing ghostbusters too so yeah yeah like it's it's you're right it's ghostbusters too but <laughs> he just puts on like a like a mascot costume like version of his own head <laughs> and then yeah. just goes to a child's birthday party <clears throat> yeah I like that though, and I like like it, I thought where the characters were though made sense that like Michelangelo and Donatello were sort of just kind of killing time. They both had jobs, which is funny. Um, but then yeah, Leo was off on some mission to like learn and grow, and of course Raphael is just still doing the vigilante thing because why would he ever want to stop kicking people? Because he's Raphael, right? Exactly. And. I thought it was uh, fun that like him and uh, Casey Jones were still the only two like active ones crime fighting in the city. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, makes sense. The two grouchy ones. 
I get that. And then, yeah, I mean, it's got like a big plot with like, you know, monsters and stuff and they have to fight them and all that stuff. But the character stuff is what I thought was done really well. Because mm-hmm. I do have that problem with animation stuff. When it gets into the big battles, I'm always like, well, it's a bit silly because there's no real stakes in animation the way there is in real life. Even if one of these turtles was fighting a shark, what difference would it make? <laughs> Bought a uh, alligator at some point. Yeah, that's something. Yeah. Anyways, I thought it was pretty good. I remember enjoying it, but I haven't seen yeah. it. I don't think since it came out in theaters. Well, you know me. I always write right on game. I was just watching <laughs> the newest thing. Just, just like I'll turn on Netflix and see what it recommends to me today. For some reason, I don't know. Get old fifteen years later. Yep. Um, and the uh, the only other thing I watched, I watched uh, Black Friday, which I think you talked about already, Brian. The Bruce Campbell movie about aliens invading a toy store on Black Friday and <laughs> screwing up the potential for the biggest sales day of the year. And it was fun. It's exactly what you think it is. Um, you know, it's there's not a lot to say about it. It's like in a world of Evil Dead two ripoffs, this was yet another one, and it was pretty good. <laughs> Uh, but have Bruce Campbell in it. Yeah. But it's like, it's super weird that it had Devin Sawa in it. I'm like, that guy still exists. Like, <laughs> no, he's been having a big comeback lately. Has he? All right. I accept he's, that. He's on the Chucky series. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that yet. I got to get to that. Yeah. It's pretty good too. But anyways, yeah, it was, it, it, I enjoyed watching it. There's not a lot to say about it. Because this is just a movie about aliens invading a toy store and the staff fighting back. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, there was a couple of moments where, you know, like they had characters, moments of the, the whole staff, like has conversations about their lives and stuff. And you're like, okay, that's enough. You did it just enough to <laughs> make me care when one of these people dies. They, they kind of nailed it. So, it's, uh, yeah. That's, you, get Bruce, you get Bruce Campbell's the greedy store manager, though. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, a slightly different version of Sleazebag than he usually. I like I, I like watching the look of him. The uh, his hair going white, and he's got the mustache, and he's wearing a cardigan the whole movie. And you're like, <laughs> I don't really want Bruce Campbell to be old because that would, you know, mean the rest of us are getting old as well. But it it was a fun look to see him in. <laughs> slightly different version of the same character, and there is a moment where he breaks down, and he's like, basically like acknowledges that like he's likes being the manager of the store because everybody has to do what he says and all that and it's like okay but i mean in some ways it's like that that typical bruce character is that like i have to be bombastic and arrogant so everyone will think i'm great at all times like it's the same (laughs) thing it's just he's doing it now in a toy store so i saw a clip somewhere of (laughs) of the scene in ash versus evil dead one of the first episodes where he's at smart and he's like trying to like pick up boxes and shit, but like the light bulbs keep falling out and everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh man, I need to rewatch that. Yeah. Cause I believe Sam Raimi directed that episode. So it just completely feels like in line with all that evil dead stuff where he's trying to pick shit up and like light bulbs are breaking and he makes that face like, oh shit. And then he's trying to like sweep it under the pallet or whatever. It's like, oh man, I remember loving that scene. <laughs> I need to rewatch it. That that whole show is just Bruce being Bruce for an hour a week, and it's it's so good. Like, yeah. I I should rewatch it too. I guess 
I don't have time for that. I got so much stuff I'm supposed to be watching. Don't tell me to rewatch <laughs> three uh, seasons of a TV show. <laughs> but it's but it's Ash vs Evil Dead. It's a good TV show. It is a good TV show, but there's so many movies I haven't seen yet. Yeah, movies, movies. That's a really solid argument. I don't know how to contradict that. Uh, well, I kind of watched a bunch of stuff. All right. Um, I watched The Long Goodbye with Elliot Gould, which is a uh, Philip Marlowe movie. Okay. Um, so <laughs> he's like this uh, private eye who lives in a shitty apartment and doesn't really seem to have his life together, as you typically do for a private eye. Yeah, that's how private eyes work. Uh, one of his best friends comes over, tells him he needs him to drive him to the U.S.-Mexican border. And since they're such good friends, he's like, yeah, sure. Drops him off, and then the next day the police show up, and they're like, yeah, this guy's wife is dead. So we need to talk to him. And uh, People say they saw him go into your apartment. So then uh, he sort of gets embroiled and kind of whatever you know the mystery that's going on and other subplots come and go and then yeah anything the movies uh i think just about two hours almost exactly and it could maybe be a little bit shorter it wasn't bad though i do like a good like sort of mystery what the fuck's going on sort of situation but the weird thing i can say about it is if you're watching it in your head you're probably like I bet this is probably what happened. But then the movie takes so many like twists and turns and roundabouts to make you think like just makes it really complex. But then ultimately you do end up at the same conclusion that you thought in your head. And I'm just like, well, why did it take so fucking long to get to that point? So I don't know. It's a, uh, I thought it was good, but maybe too long. Could have trimmed it down some, but it's a Robert Altman movie. So we get... When when does that come out? 73. 73, yeah. I was going to say that. Explains the length. Uh, the interesting thing is uh, the girls in the apartment, like across from him, um, are just a bunch of like hippie girls. So they're constantly just out on their balcony doing yoga topless. <laughs> so, you know. All right. Every time he looks out his window, it's just like, oh, there's three topless girls. Why? Who knows? Oh, explains why all those chairs are set up in front of that window, though. Like, <laughs> totally. Why is your dinner table set up so that everybody's looking out the window when they sit down to eat? Oh, I see. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, I had a friend come over. He said he wanted to watch some fun horror movies. All right. It's like, I don't want something that's going to be like, take itself too seriously. I want to watch something that's just like fun. I was like, well, I got movies for you then. Uh, so we watched the final girls from 2015. Oh yeah. Where uh, a bunch of, uh, early 20 somethings get pulled into essentially Friday the 13th. Yeah. That was a fun one. I saw it when it was newish, I think. Mm-hmm. So we watched that. He loved it. It's always a fun watch. I think it's like the third or fourth time I've seen it. Uh, and then after that, we watched Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. And I haven't watched that for a while, so it was a lot of fun rewatching this one. Yeah, it's been too long since I saw that one. It's so good. <laughs> but he sat there the whole time just like, so this documentary crew is just it's cool with following him around while he's setting up, planning to murder a bunch of people. 
And I was like, you keep asking these questions. These questions are going to come up in the movie. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that one was a lot of fun. Enjoyed that one too. Man, I haven't rewatched it in a while. I forgot how excited I get when Robert England shows up in that movie. Yeah. It's like perfect the way it is. That little resurgence that Robert England had in the mid 2000s where he would play like the older guy in all these movies. Mm-hmm. It was so fun for a few years there. Yeah, especially just watching this. I'm just like, man, if they remake Halloween again, he would be a perfect uh, uh, Dr. Loomis. He would be. Yeah. Maybe he got it out of his system in this one. It doesn't need to play it again. But You know what you need to do? Show your friend uh, Jack Brooks Monster Slayer. Oh, that is a good one. Didn't even there think about that one. Nice Robert England performance. I don't think that I own it anywhere. Well, yeah, fix, to, fix that. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I may have to rectify the, that. So the solution is easy. You just start owning it. Yeah, that one was a lot of fun. I haven't watched that one in a long time either. That one's so good. Uh, then the other thing I watched is I watched the. Uh, so these documentaries about the making of big movies yeah. are kind of popular now. Um, so there's one called Cleaning Up the Town, Remembering Ghostbusters. Okay. And it's just a two-hour movie about them making Ghostbusters. It's probably fun. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. Uh, so, not, not surprisingly, Bill Murray did not, uh, not sit, down for, no. sit down for any interviews, but everybody else did. Except for uh, Rick Moranis isn't it either. Because they probably just forgot to call him. Probably. That does seem to be part of the problem. Like, people would keep asking him if he was going to be in, like, New Go- the new Ghostbusters movie when there was rumblings they were going to do one. And he's like, well, nobody's called me, so I assume not. So just nobody ever called. Um, yeah, so they just sit and talk to a bunch of people about making Ghostbusters. And they talk to a lot of, uh, talk to pretty much all the main cast. Three other Ghostbusters. They talked to Sigourney Weaver. Um, you talked to a bunch of random people that were in the movie. Like there's, there's one like crowd scene and when everybody's huddled around the hotel and there's a guy with very bright red hair in the crowd and they talk to him for some reason. <laughs> Just cause. Yeah. And he's labeled as red hair guy. Yeah. Uh, but he just talks about what it was like filming that day and stuff. So it is some good insight and everything, but it, uh, talk to them. They talk to a lot of the special effects people and then go over how they made a lot of the ghosts and stuff, especially like the Slimer, uh, character they show a lot of behind the scenes footage of them shooting all the Slimer stuff, which is really interesting and fascinating. That could so be, that could be interesting. I, I like that. Now they're doing documentaries about movies, where there isn't like some big controversy or like everyone didn't just hate each other or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like it used to be, those would be the only ones you'd get. And I, I'm glad that we get these ones where it's just like, yeah, like most of the people involved in ghostbusters still really like ghostbusters. (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. Like that's still fun to to hear about, you know, everybody had a, uh, seemed to have a really good time. I mean, you know, there's always the stress about running out of money and shit like that. And yeah, but, you know, they talk about all that stuff, and yeah, well, it's a lot of fun. So it's funny, Sigourney Weaver talks about the the chair scene. She sits down, the arms bust out and grab her, and then you know, yeah. the chair goes into the kitchen. She said it was funny 
filming it because uh, all of the uh, puppeteers that are playing the arms, she's like, they were just trying to be very polite. They were trying not to be rude. Yeah. And they were grabbing her. And uh, <laughs> Ivan Raven kept getting annoyed because he's like, force of them grabbing her is just not there. She eventually had to tell him, like, look, you can just grab my chest and whatever. Like, let's just just fucking get it done. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, there's got to be an awkwardness to that where you're, like, just some puppeteer guy and you're, like, grabbing at this movie star. (laughs) She's like, yeah, she's like, it's fine. Just grab me. If you end up grabbing my chest or whatever, it's not a big deal. Just, Just do it. So, and then they got it in one take. So, yeah. <laughs> sort of funny. I'm going to give that a watch one day. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, because they did interview him before he died, uh, talk about sort of coming up with the movie, because it was a completely different movie before yeah. it became what it became. Uh, and I'm, people have probably heard before, but the original idea was to be... Um, Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, and Eddie Murphy are going to be the three Ghostbusters. Yeah. But then John died, and um, they completely rewrote a bunch of the movie. And, and so then Bill came on board, and everybody's like, well, we need to give Bill most of the best lines, because he's fucking Bill Murray. And then yes. he, he would improv a lot. <laughs> That's the thing is, like, Bill Murray's going to probably steal your movie, so you might just want to like give it to him. Is that yeah. At least you can control how <laughs> it goes. Much. Pretty much. And the, because uh, they have the hotel manager from the first opening shot. Yeah. And uh, he talks about how he's very like, you know, when I was working, it's very theater. So it's very by the, by the script and everything. And I'm trying to hit all my marks. And then Bill Murray comes in and completely changes the scene. He's like, you just kind of have to go for it. So it's either do it or just get out of the way, I guess. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny because it all worked out good. It's yeah. probably also how a lot of movies end up getting ruined, but whatever. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. All right. Well, technically, we're going to be off next week because I'm going to be on vacation. But then the week, week after, uh, we'll be back. Uh, we are going to be doing New York Ripper and Manhattan Baby. Oh, shit. Because why not? We are just sticking with the Italian theme. Yeah. Somehow this turned podcast now. <laughs> somehow this turned into an Italian month without us really trying. Yeah. What's funny is when I put a bunch of the Fulci movies on the list, I made a decision not to set up a month because I'm like, maybe we need to spread those out. <laughs> And then instinctively, we're like, nah, we're not doing that. (laughs) It just randomly happened. All three of us picked Italian movies. Can't help it. So looking at the list, nothing else jumped out at me. So that's what happens. Uh, Should we talk about Moon Knight? I don't feel like it's going to be a very long conversation because... Well, I feel like the opening episode is um, very much set up, and like, especially yeah. for those of us who don't read comics, it's like, I don't, I don't know, like one of us was to say happened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really understand what happened, so it was neat 
but I don't really get it yet. So this is where Noah Noah will educate us on Moon Knight. I know yeah. I've I've read him a little bit, but not like a ton. <laughs> well, it gets it gets complicated because he's been retconned so many times that now it's kind of a weird amalgamation of a whole bunch of different versions. So he's in most iterations of the comics, he's a little bit more Batman esque. So the Stephen, uh, oh, I can't remember his last name. The Stephen personality, right? In the comic books, is more like a Bruce Wayne. He's a rich billionaire. Okay, that's not the case in the show. Yeah, they got rid of that because it's kind of dumb and unnecessary for his character. So. But I don't know. Do, do one of you want to run through the plot of the first episode? Do you need me to do it? I don't know uh, how to do it. So, <laughs> well, so the, we. I'll oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say. So the first, the first episode is basically following Stephen. Uh, as we find out, he's got some kind of sleep disorder where he sleepwalks and a bunch of other things. Um, he's got a hard life. He's kind of beat up at work, in which he works at an Egyptian museum in the gift shop uh and then quickly we find out that apparently while he's sleeping (laughs) something else entirely is going on in which another personality takes over and is taking him on mercenary-esque adventures and we've got the bad guy played by um is it ethan hawk is that the name thank you yeah yeah didn't fuck up an actor's name Woo! uh ethan falcon yeah, so that that character is like a super deep cut. He was in like one comic book one time, and he's a completely different character than that character, which I think is a good idea. So it's a character that they can do whatever they want with because nobody's going to get pissed off that they changed it. And if they do, they're the most pedantic asshole on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> I know you hate it when people nitpick because it changes from the comics. So. Well, there's a, there's a difference between if it's important to the story or not. This character is irrelevant. He's like I said, he showed up in one comic book and they never resolved the story arc. They just moved on to other stuff. All right. It looks like he's important in the show, though. Right, right. He didn't have a magical scale tattoo. I can tell you that much. <laughs> I lose everybody. Uh, nope. No, I thought, oh, okay. I thought my headphones cut out for a second, sir. I should start real quiet. But yeah, so so in the most of the modern iterations of Moon Knight, I mean, it's pretty obvious from what's happening in that first episode that he has multiple personality disorder, a.k.a. dissociative personality disorder, or whatever yeah. they're calling it nowadays. Uh, identity disorder. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter what they're calling it. He's got that cool movie version uh, of it. Where and he's, got, he's got the born identity version. And then in the comic books, there's always kind of sometimes it's not so ambiguous. Sometimes it's more ambiguous as to whether or not he is either the chosen of the god Khonshu and has superpowers or he's crazy and he thinks he's the... (laughs) the uh, avatar of Khonshu and he doesn't actually have superpowers. And the only reason why he can do seemingly superhuman things is because he believes it so much that he commits. So he doesn't hurt himself. Okay. All right. 
I'm assuming in the show, since there was a magical jackal man who attacked him and a dude with a magical tattoo, that they're probably going with the Kanchu is real and he is the avatar. Well, it felt to like some of the things he was doing, he would have had to have been in two places at once to some extent. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't getting up, sneaking out of the apartment at night and going on those adventures and then waking up in bed the next morning. You would have to. Well, but it wasn't the next some. morning. That adventure was two days. True. And, Still. and it looked like it, I, I think that was supposed to just be in Bavaria. And since he's out of uh, London, it's really not that. It's not like he had to go a bajillion miles. Still, it feels like to me it would make more sense anyway. I mean, they can probably justify it either way, but it would make more sense to me if there's some magic going on that enables him to travel distances with whatever method. Yeah, I like I I do like the idea that they're going with that all of the well, at least Mark Spector and Moon Knight and Khonshu are aware of the multiple personality thing, but the Steven character seems to be not. Yeah, and I and I kind of liked Kanchu calling him an idiot over and over. That was pretty funny. Yeah, I feel like they were borrowing a lot from Venom for that kind of stuff. The voiceover in his head, maybe that might be intentional too. You know, Disney likes to rub it in everyone's faces that they're like, "Hey, you remember that thing you did? We can do that better than you did." <laughs> but especially with DC, they seem to like to troll DC. It seems to be coming out more and more now. Like. Famously, they've dropped references to DC characters on numerous occasions. Right. And I feel like that's on purpose. Definitely, like, the reference to Flashpoint in No Way Home. Yeah. And then and then resetting the Marvel, the Spider-Man character, the way they did, is like, you guys can do a Flashpoint movie? We're just going to take one of our characters and give them a similar storyline and just move on with it then. Just, just do it before you guys. Just, we picked, uh, I don't know, Spider Man. We'll do it with him. <laughs> <laughs> they did a. I'll tell you what. The the first episode did contain a uh, a reverse reveal, which was pretty funny. In the trailer, everyone assumed that the furry thing that you saw on the ground beat up was uh, Werewolf by Night, and that he was going to have a cameo in the show since his. You know, he's the uh, target of the Halloween special that's coming up. Sure. And uh, instead, it was this weird jackal creature thing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, see, they, they tricked me. I was so I was so stoked to see Werewolf by Night. Now I don't think he's in it. Or did they just make you wait longer? We'll see. Could be I, that. I, I mean, I, it's only six episodes. They, they can only put so much in. I, I'm not predicting anything with these Marvel shows anymore. I don't know why they've been so straightforward ever since <laughs> WandaVision started. Uh, about episode three of WandaVision, I went, yeah, I shouldn't be predicting things and I just don't anymore. <laughs> my, my guess, I'm, uh, it's a, it's a coin flip kind of thing. I think in episode six, you're either going to see blade show up or, Black Knight show up. I mean, sure. Even even if it's just in like a post credit stinger type situation. Yeah, it's very plausible. Like I wouldn't deny that either of those things are going to happen. But. but but also maybe not because apparently all the articles are saying that Oscar Isaac was very specific. These six episodes are his Marvel contract. He is not bound to do any more stuff. Mm, yeah, 
but that doesn't mean he won't either. He, yeah, I think he's uh, might be a little uh, gun shy after X Men Apocalypse. Yeah. Well, I think they said they're going to gauge how popular the show is, and I think I think it's going to do good. It's got a cool tone to it, and I agree with that. and it's kind of interesting how you're almost going to have a almost like a buddy show. You know what I mean? But but the two buddies are are both Oscar Isaac. <laughs> yeah. And probably three. So there's, I don't know if it's an Easter egg or if it's hinting at future stuff, but the, uh, the security guard keeps calling him, uh, Scott, Scott. And Scott is the name of one of his other personalities. Who's a New York cab driver. If I remember correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so we're thinking that might be more than just a joke. There could actually be a storyline that comes from that. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't know if that's an Easter egg kind of joke or if that is foreshadowing that Scott is showing up. Interesting. Because in the in the comic books, there's kind of been a thing where they talk. So this this is a little interesting. I don't I don't know how much I'm going to bore you guys. But originally in the comics, Mark Spector was just a mercenary and he did a bunch of like wet work black op shit mm-hmm. and and so he had fake identities he had tons and tons of them it was like part of his part of moon knight's thing that he would show up and he would just be undercover as some random guy and then in the later comic books when they decided to do deal with all his mental illness stuff instead they kind of adapted that idea to instead of those just being false identities created by Mark Spector, instead they're just actually other identities. And so he's constantly flipping around between them. It's 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 pretty it's it's interesting the way it kind of played out. No, yeah, I can see that though. They kind of started with it being more real world and then drifted it towards being more traditional comic book storylines where there's actual like supernatural type stuff going on yeah oscar isaac's definitely bringing the heat he's putting in a fucking performance yep he's it's solid i mean it's not an easy role to play either i do like how they uh they show it how it's believable that he just comes off as crazy like when he goes to the fucking pet store and he's like the other day this visually have one fin now it's got two Explain this. The pet shop lady's just like, uh, I don't know. You bought it yesterday? And he's like, I wasn't here yesterday. <laughs> the, just, idiot, the idiot is awake again. <laughs> <laughs> just seeing it from the outside, you're just like, who the fuck is this nutso? It is, it is kind of interesting that they uh, are kind of showing Kanshu the way they are. I don't know. I feel, yeah. I feel like it's more direct than it is in the in the comic books kind of conscious just this thing in the background rather than a thing he's interacting with on a regular basis i gotta spell it out a little bit more for all the normies right yeah. i mean and the trailer and stuff is already revealed we're gonna see more of the stuff because so there's even within the the frame of moon knight himself as moon knight there's different versions of Moon Knight, too. So there's the, you know, caped, badass, Batman-esque, beat-em-up guy. 
And then there's Mr. Knight, which is basically the Moon Knight mask in a white suit. <laughs> so he's going to have different versions of his suit. I, I would. Yeah, I think I think they showed the Mr. Knight suit in the uh, the trailer. Okay. Yeah. So I go into most of this stuff pretty blind now because we're getting into characters that I don't know and I'm just like, all right, let's just see what it does. Yeah, I've I've always said what I wanted to see with the show is for them to kind of do it from the perspective of Mark Spector's character because then what you're seeing on screen is his interpretation of what the world is, which is constantly changing depending on what what is currently wrong with his brain. So you would constantly be changing the aesthetics of the show a little bit. And I think they're kind of going with that, but we'll see. Well, they're almost doing it from the opposite perspective, which is also very interesting, which is this, uh, Stevie character just waking up in the middle of shit being like, what the fuck is going on? I like that. I like that idea of he just doesn't, doesn't understand what's going on when he wakes up and there's the voices like trying to tell him how to get out of the situation and just <laughs> he's like what's like why am i driving backwards pointing a gun at two cars i assume it would be weird to wake up in those circumstances <laughs> i did i did like the uh whenever he finally makes the switch to mark and uh the camera cuts to outside that bathroom and you hear the fight going on <laughs> And then all of a sudden, all you see is like the jackal thing kind of like fly out and it's like clawing at the ground and it's Moon Knight dragging it back into the room. Oh, no. Shit just went sideways. I was going to say, because that's I will see if that's one of the things they deal with, because in the comic books, there's an issue with the fact that Moon Knight is a little uh, brutalistic with the way he handles his business. Well, they've already implied that that's what's going on with this show. Just even in the trailer, they showed that beatdown scene where you're just like, okay, this is one of those ones. Okay. Yeah. A little more, a little more daredevil in the hallway, as it were. Yes. Which is interesting that Disney is just making their stuff more violent now. Although apparently planning to put sanitized versions of it up on their service. Well, it's weird. Because they apparently just went back and edited a bunch of violence out of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, apparently what they're saying is that they weren't intending to edit it out. They're intending to create a cleaner version so that parents will have the option of showing the cleaner version oh. of their kids and both will be available. Like, Because I don't know how it works down there, but here there's like three different levels of Disney+. Plus. You can have like kid, teen, or adult. I'll tell you what, oh. I'm, not, I'm not entirely opposed to that, I guess. Yeah, as long as they're all available, I don't care. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're going to have these parents who have such a big stick up their ass that they can't handle the mild violence that's in Falcon and Winter Soldier, yeah, then their kids shouldn't have to suffer for it. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I'll probably show my kid the violent version, but... Because <laughs> you're well, a good parent. A, well, that's the whole thing. It's n- the most violent thing that happens is when... Uh, U.S. agent cracks that dude in the dome with the shield. Yeah. And it's off camera. Yeah. But there's a lot of blood on that shield. Yeah, I suppose. Now there'll just be like one drop, but it'll be like green just to not upset anybody. (laughs) He was a robot. He was a robot the whole time. Well, apparently that's the kind of stuff they're doing is editing out blood. So 
It's weird that somebody was watching it close enough that like members of the public just figured out that they were doing that. I mean, they managed to do it with the uh, with the second Deadpool movie with Once Upon a Deadpool to recut the whole movie and make it PG. I haven't seen that. Is that good? I so I bought it. I bought it, but I haven't watched it yet. I think I think the original movie is funnier, but for what it is, Once Upon a Deadpool is really funny. Yeah. Because they kind of make up for it with they added so they add the wraparound, which is for all the Fred Savage stuff to make up for the things that they had to edit out of the movie. I've heard the Disney prerogative is uh, when in doubt, just add more Fred Savage. And that should be everybody's plan. I mean, I'll be honest. I kind of want Fred Savage in the MCU somehow (laughs) as himself. I, it, that would be fine. Or wait, does Fox own Princess Bride now? Or does Disney own Princess Bride? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I can't keep track. I just assume if they don't own it, they'll just buy the company that does own it soon enough. So. I would be I would be perfectly happy with Fred Savage as one of the random X-Men that nobody talks about. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's a background just, character. Like he's Cypher or something, you know. <laughs> What are the what are the X Men that everybody's like? Oh yeah, I recognize that guy, but nobody cares. Do they do they own Austin Powers now? He could just be his character from Austin Powers. You think they're gonna bring him over? <laughs> the the mole 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 mole. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> I don't know. I come across that lately. That's all I think about. Every time I see an actor, I'm like. Who could that actor be? <laughs> well, it feels like eventually everybody's going to be in the MCU. So we need to start thinking in these terms because. Right. Well, I mean, now that Oscar Isaac's made the leap, I'm sure the rest of the Star Wars folks are going to make their way over. Oh, yeah. Awesome powers is Warner Brothers. So he'll have to show up in the DC continuity. Ah, boo. Well, I won't see it then. <laughs> now it's going to come out like love guru. Gross. All right. <laughs> Do we have anything else to say about Moon Knight? <laughs> Not really. I liked the first episode, but I I don't feel like I understand it yet. And I feel like I have enough faith that I will understand it soon. And uh, so I'm willing to go with that. Yeah. But my, my current theory is I'm guessing at least these first, maybe the first half of the show, so the first three episodes, are going to be... Th- possibly even just the same thing told over again from the other personalities. That'd be interesting. Oh yeah. I guess that, that would work. Yeah. But, but we'll Not see, that. we'll see if that's the direction they go. <laughs> Cause I mean, really Mark marks the important one and you got to see him for half a second in a mirror at the end of the episode. <laughs> that's enough. You know, no point in overdoing it, which is also a good way to end the show. Yeah. We tend to overdo it. So we're, you know, ruining our own point, but that's irrelevant. No, it's ruined it. <laughs> now, damn it! Now we kept going. Now it's just going to be an awkward ending. Oh, fuck! Just not have this be part of the show. Yeah, but since you said that, now it has to be. Yeah. Plus, that feels like a level of editing that just Brian is not willing to participate. Oh, God, in. oh, what's just. That? Just clipping the end off is too much. Oh, that's so much work. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.
And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.